The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche, Running on the Rocks, Part 2. Written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis K. Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jagger. Georgie laid the commissar's body down on the ground, careful to keep her behind cover. The unit, his unit now, was still fighting. He heard the nearby explosions as the flanking teams breached the building simultaneously, followed by the constant chatter of fully automatic weapons. The ambushers would be dead soon, and the assault would continue. He tried to muster something approaching satisfaction at that, but it was blotted out by the white-hot sun of his anger at the Thulians. He didn't just hate them because they were fascista. He resented them. He resented them for destroying his world, for making it a place where he had to see a girl, who he had watched grow into a woman and then his commanding officer, die while saving their comrades. He wanted nothing more in that moment than to wrap his hands around the throat of every single fascista, one by one, and choke the life out of them. I've been fighting the same fucking war for far too long, he thought to himself as he keyed his comm unit. Medic! There was nothing to be done for the commissar. No, Natalia, anymore. From a glance, he already knew what had happened— a grazing shot from a Thulian energy pistol had burned away a section of her nano-weave jacket, not to mention her combat vest. Without full integrity, it had been useless to stop the bullets that had struck her from the side and in her back. Unable to stiffen and disperse the kinetic energy of the bullets, they passed through the armor as they would have with any other garment. Bear and the two injured soldiers, however, were still alive. Georgie had to focus on what he could fix— he had to keep moving forward. Just to be sure, he quickly moved over to Pavel's still form and put his ear to the battered chest piece of the chassis. Old Bear's plasma chamber heart was still whirring, though much quieter than it should have been. A moment later, Thea and Yadviga rounded the corner of the building abutting their cover. Their eyes darted over the scene, taking in the details. Yadviga's eyes went dead. Her face became stone. She was a professional healer, a trained medical doctor in addition to her metahuman abilities, and she knew her priorities. To Georgie's surprise, Thea burst into tears. She collapsed against the wall, clinging to it as if it were the last thing grounding her to reality. He had never seen her be anything but reserved, or at best laconic. Unlike for most of the other comrades, he had never seen her personnel file— the commissar had accepted her into the CCCP without consulting him, and he hadn't opposed her decision. Despite the mystery, she had demonstrated her willingness to help her comrades satisfactorily. What is your story, Devushka? He wanted to go to her and comfort her, to hold her and tell her that everything was going to be fine, but he couldn't. There was still too much that needed attending to. Yadviga, get her moving. As soon as you have them stable enough to move, get Pavel and the injured one to one of the evac points. And the commissar. No need to tell me my business, Georgie. She didn't quite bark at him. He opened his mouth to reply, but then promptly shut it. She was clearly suffering, and this was how she dealt with it. 
she had been closer to Natalia and Molotov than any of the other comrades. Instead of wailing and beating her fist against the ground, she shut that part of herself away, like a patient in triage, until she could deal with it. Have to stop the bleeding before anything else. She went back to Thea and slapped her once, not hard, but not gently either. That pulled the young woman up short mid-ball. Then Yadviga pulled her into a rough hug and whispered something into her ear. A few seconds later, the pair were jogging towards the wounded, Thea wiping her tears away with the back of her gloved hands. Georgie split off a detachment of soldiers to help them with the wounded and the commissar's body, some helping carry, the rest on security. The front line was for the most part stable in moving forward, but as they had just painfully learned, nothing could be taken for granted on this godforsaken ship. As if to punctuate his thought, the ground shuddered. Several of the soldiers looked to Georgie, a collective, what the hell was that, expression on all of their faces. Then the ground violently bucked up to meet all of them, knocking everyone in the immediate vicinity off of their feet. The ship is dying, Commissar, Eight said in his ear. It is not yet compromised enough to begin breaking up, but the end is inevitable. He waited for some sort of advice as to what the AI suggested he do, but none was forthcoming. He wasn't sure whether to be sorry or grateful that Eight was leaving command decisions to him. Unter picked himself up off the ground when he felt confident enough that there wouldn't be any aftershocks, or whatever came after a ship quake, if anything. Everyone around him was already moving, Yadviga, Thea, and the soldiers he assigned to them gathering the wounded and the commissar's body, the rest of his soldiers continuing to assault towards the center of the ship. Unter pushed forward when his men in the occupied buildings gave the all-clear. One of the buildings was completely consumed with fire, and the second wasn't faring much better. Their casualties during the assault had been acceptable. One dead, six wounded. He noted that zero prisoners had been taken. Several of the human bodies, from the traitorous supernaut unit undoubtedly, had been bound and killed in what looked like executions. He couldn't even muster satisfaction that they were dead, or disgust that he normally would have been pleased by this outcome. Too much to do. Too much hate flattening out his other emotions. This was war. He could deal with everything, the good and the bad, after. If there was an after for him, or anyone else. The ambush cleared. They advanced. He saw more Thulians now than he did Supernaut suits, they were definitely making progress, and there couldn't be that many of the traitors left. He was about to order another movement to advance to contact when his HUD lit up with a bright warning and something like a klaxon. That was followed with a series of rippling explosions to the right of his unit's position, near the center of the ship. They overpowered all of the other blasts and booms across the ship. They were that loud. What the hell is it now? Commissar Untermensch! Eight said with uncharacteristic urgency. The dragon! Georgie's stomach dropped. They had all been afraid of this. The intel hadn't included anything on the dragon, though they knew it had been out there, somewhere, after the destruction of Metis. The weapons his unit had couldn't even begin to be enough to damage the dragon, much less take it down. Everyone, get to cover, now! Just after he finished yelling... He heard the roar. Loud and resonant, it seemed to stop the fighting for the briefest of moments, all across the city. Then he saw it. 
It crested the rooftops in the distance, raising itself to its full height. It was terrible, but also a little beautiful. Sleek and jagged, metallic and organic, and pure in its desire to kill every single one of them. The moment shattered when the artillery and close air support craft started hammering it. The explosions surrounded it like miniature and short-lived rain clouds, blossoming and then dissipating. The dragon didn't seem to notice. It surged forward, crashing through buildings on its way to the far right side of the front line. It had to be killing some of its own, but if it was, it didn't care. The artillery that had been targeting it couldn't keep up. Some of the attack helicopters were able to continue to land hits with their cannons and missiles, but even those slackened as they broke off to deal with harrying death spheres. Within seconds, the dragon smashed into the assaulting units on the right end of the line. Hunter felt his gorge rise when he saw dozens of friendly dots on the HUD map suddenly go dark. What the hell are we going to do against that? It's going to tear its way through the front lines and then take out the ships. He felt a rising wave of panic for the first time since the battle had begun. Would they have to retreat? It seemed unthinkable. No, it was unthinkable. Whatever happened here today, they couldn't turn back. They wouldn't have another shot. Another warning buzzed on the HUD. Incoming friendly unit, cease all attacks against the dragon. All units, clear lane Bravo into adjoining lanes immediately. Georgie almost shouted. What were they trying to do? Give it a straight shot to the ships? It took him a moment to realize that they certainly were not. The ground rumbled again in rhythmic bursts. Footfalls. Georgie spun around to face the edge of the ship, back to where they had come from. Atlas, in all of his thousand-foot-tall glory, was running towards the dragon. Georgie didn't know that the giant could even move that fast, and neither did the dragon. Atlas launched himself at the dragon, spearing it in the midsection with a flying tackle before it could do anything more than turn its head. They went down with a thunderous crash, pulverizing buildings as they rolled and thrashed. The men around Georgie gave triumphant cries, many pumping weapons and fists in the air. Keep moving forward, comrades. We have a chance, and we must not waste it. Ura, ura, ura! The men snapped to his orders, and they rushed forward. They had to keep up their momentum. If they stalled again, that would be all the chance that the Thulians needed to scrape them off of the ship and back into the sea. Georgie saw on his HUD that the other units, some of them more sluggishly than others, were back to pressing the attack as well. Everyone was steering clear of the furball between Atlas and the dragon, even the Thulians. It was the great patriotic war all over again. The metahuman heavies duped it out amongst themselves, while the conventional forces fought each other until one or the other won. Even with the renewed energy within the unit, Georgie kept an eye on the fight between Atlas and the dragon. His enthusiasm vanished almost instantly. Atlas wrestled with the dragon, trying to stay behind its head and pin it, occasionally punching or elbowing it with little effect other than to batter the monstrosity. The dragon, in turn, clawed and bit at every available piece of Atlas, and where its jaws snapped or its claws found purchase, it was doing damage. He can't hurt it. He can only try to distract it and keep it from killing the rest of us. Georgie knew that the situation couldn't last. Eventually, 
and probably sooner than later, Atlas would make a mistake and the dragon would have him. He had had the advantage surprising it. Now it was pissed. There was nothing beautiful about it now. Just an awful demonic fury so intense that Georgie could swear was giving off a heat mirage. His mind scrambled for a solution. Anything. It didn't matter if they pushed further in the city if the dragon killed Atlas and then swooped in on them from behind. The idea came to him suddenly, like a bolt from the blue. He almost discounted it out of hand, but he couldn't bring himself to. We are all going to die, one way or another, and we can't hold back. He keyed his comm unit. Comrade Chug, this is Untermensch. I need you at my position immediately. He grabbed the nearest lieutenant, a young blonde VDV man, and spun him around to face him. You, Lieutenant Yekyet. The officer nodded, confused and obviously a little intimidated. Not every day one meets a member of the CCCP, I suppose. You are in charge of the unit until I return. More like, if I return. But the young Russian didn't need to know that. Continue the attack. We must prevail, for Russia in the world. Do you understand? The lieutenant stared at him blankly, then saluted crisply. Yes, sir. With a nod, the young officer set off, already barking orders for the others. Georgie stared after the man, wondering if he would live through today. He stood there wondering for a second before snapping himself out of it. Eight. Where is Chug? At that moment, a section of wall behind Georgie exploded outward, showering the immediate area with dust and chunks of concrete. Georgie flinched for a split second, then whirled around with his rifle raised. A squat form shook itself once, then jogged over to Georgie. Never mind, Eight. He lowered his rifle, looking down to Chug. His arm had healed after being reattached by the combined efforts of Belladonna, Yadviga, and Victrix. Georgie didn't even pretend to understand all of the complicated processes, much less the literal magic, that had gone into making the Rockman whole again. Chug looked happy to see Georgie, which made it that much harder for him. He had been attached to another unit that was lacking any metahuman muscle, as it were, under the command of one of proletariat's copies. Normally unable to help in the day-to-day -day peacekeeping and law enforcement that the CCCP usually engaged in, Chug was usually occupied with coloring books or playing with his pet hamster. Or eating. Even as he looked expectantly to Georgie, Chug bent down to pick up a piece of the concrete to chew on. Here, however, he had been allowed to go all out. From the reports that the proletariat copy had been sending to Georgie, Chug had been having an absolute ball. Chug, I need you to come with me. We must assist Comrade Atlas. Okay, Hunter. Chug rumbled happily as he munched on the chunk of concrete like an apple. The pair of them set off at a run. They needed to be fast, but it wouldn't do to get bushwhacked by the enemy, so they stayed behind the front line, well within friendly territory. That only changed when they got near to the site of Atlas's own battle. There were no troops in the area, any closer and they had a real chance of being crushed beneath the two thrashing titans, a huge area of the city had been flattened by just the two of them, not to mention the ongoing bombardment. Georgie had already sent his plan to wait via text, who had relayed it to Atlas. The only reply? Hurry.
Georgie signaled to wait when they came to a stop. The plan was insane, probably worthless, but he couldn't think of anything else. Maybe Natalia could have, or Arthur Chang, but this was all Georgie had. He turned to Chug. He had already finished his bit of concrete while they were running and was looking for something else to eat. Chug, I need you to do something. Chug looked up to Georgie, and for the thousandth time he considered scrapping the idea. Yes, Hunter? Chug wants to help. Since coming to America with the rest of the CCCP, he had taken to speaking English more often. He did it because it made the American comrades more comfortable. Chug was always eager to please his friends. No turning back. No retreat ever, even if it hurt your soul. The dragon is hurting Comrade Atlas. He needs your help to destroy it. He considered for a moment, wrestling with his conscience. To hell with it. He deserves to know. You may die, but if you can stop the dragon, you will save all of the comrades, all of your friends. We need you to help us, Chug. You're the only one that can now. That sobered Chug. Da, Hunter, the rock man replied quickly. Chug helps comrades. Georgie's attention was torn back to the gargantuan battle. Atlas, his stone flesh covered with bite and claw marks, had finally disentangled himself from the dragon. It was on top of him. He was on his back and was holding it at arm's length as it tried to crane its head far enough down to bite his throat. With tremendous effort, Atlas managed to get a leg between himself and the squirming dragon. With a single kick, he sent the dragon flying away from him. It landed several hundred yards away, buildings crumbling underneath it until it finally came to a rest. A particularly tall structure that looked like some kind of neoclassic tower collapsed on top of the dragon. Atlas slipped onto his hands and knees. Again, Georgie was dumbfounded by how impossibly fast Atlas could move for someone so large, and swept a hand towards Georgie and Chug. Georgie was able to leap backwards at the last second, still close enough to feel the wind from Atlas's massive hand as it scooped up Chug. The dragon was already freeing itself from the remains of the tower, its eyes fixed on Atlas with murderous rage. The giant whispered something, still booming and loud, but Georgie couldn't make out the exact words, to Chug. The dragon had begun charging towards the pair, another awful roar issuing from its maw. With a short wind-up, Atlas coiled his arm, then threw Chug straight at the dragon. Georgie's eyes tracked the hurtling, rocky bullet as it disappeared into the dragon's mouth. Georgie held his breath. The dragon had come up short, confused. That didn't last long, however. Satisfied that whatever had happened didn't matter more than killing Atlas, it started forward again, and then stumbled and crashed into the ground, throwing up huge fountains of ruined street and debris. Georgie ran for the nearest piece of hard cover he could find, the remains of an arch commemorating some bullshit battle or something that the Thulians cared about. Rocks pelted him on the head and shoulders as he ran, with huge pieces exploding on the street all around him. He skidded to a stop underneath the arch, hoping it would hold, before he turned to look at the dragon again. It was on its back now, and clawing at itself, tearing off great chunks of metal on its throat, 
than its belly and sides. Baleful orange light shone through the fissures that it created, and how it screamed, not a roar, but the sound of a thing in pain. It was unnerving. A machine, or what was supposed to be mostly machine. Feeling pain. Atlas stomped over to Georgie, the ground shaking with every step. He dropped to the ground in front of Georgie, blocking his view of the dragon. Get down. Georgie was nearly deafened by the giant's voice, but he complied instantly. A second later, the sky was filled with orange light, and Atlas's body rocked with a concussive wave. The arch above Georgie groaned, the stones threatening to give way to gravity, but it held. Slowly, Atlas rolled away from Georgie, revealing a scorched wasteland. Something inside of the dragon, broken by Chug, had exploded. The immediate area, already destroyed by the giant's brawl, was completely devastated now. A mushroom cloud in miniature rose from where the dragon had been, an inferno at the heart of it. Georgie could see what looked like the outline of the dragon's lower body sticking out from the center of it, but with all of the fire, he could feel the heat as if he were standing right next to it. It was impossible to be sure. Eight. Confirm. Dragon is off the board. Repeat. Dragon is down. Georgie stared at the blazing ruins for what felt like a long time. He thought about Natalia, wondering how she could do it. Georgie hadn't been a metahuman or even an officer in the Great Patriotic War, just a fighter for the motherland, captured and twisted by the Nazis into what he was now. He was good at carrying out orders. He had a soldier's heart. But to command, he should have had the character for it, the skills, but he doubted it all now. He knew that Natalia had privately suffered ever since the invasion and the tragedy at Savior's Gate. So many of their friends lost then, with her commanding them to fight and die to protect the civilians. Old Man Petrograd, Supernaut, Netapir, Svetok, and Zarpikta. Old Bear had almost died then, too. Georgie hoped the old bastard lived. They were the last of the veterans, after all. And the others that had died since... The mad inventor Smey, Molotok, Rusalka, even People's Blade, calculating and petite Feli. So many lost, and Natalia took the weight of it all on herself. How could he, an Untermensch, hope to even begin to measure up? Who would do that to themselves willingly? Only someone insane, he decided. He would have to face Jadwiga if any of them lived through this. She had already lost her Sestra and she had been the closest out of any of them to Chug. Could he look her in the eye and tell her that he sent the strange man to his death? They had manipulated the poor creature to fight for them for years, and he may have saved them, or at least postponed their deaths. But did that excuse Georgie for being a bastard now? Georgie turned back to where the front line had pushed forward. Atlas had already left, to either fight more or to sink back into the depths, Georgie didn't know. He'd been too consumed with his own thoughts and focused on the fire. He checked his HUD. The young VDV lieutenant was doing well from what he could see. He had even kept nearly all of his people alive. Something made Georgie look back to the corpse of the dragon one final time. Later, he wouldn't be able to say what had made him do it. But when he looked back... 
a craggy and blackened figure came trotting towards him out of the flames. Chug, do good. He had pieces of the dragon crumpled in his hands, and what passed for a huge grin with his granite features. Georgie allowed himself to laugh in what felt like the first time in decades. <laughs> da, Chuck, da. But there is still more work to do. Let's go. The low, melancholy tone chimed in Yankee Pride's ear, a hollow warning that coincided with the alert that appeared in his HUD. Stationed on one of the cruisers accompanying the aircraft carrier, he stared past the scrolling words to watch the scene unfold in grainy detail on screens in the CIC. Pride had missed much of the battle that raged within the main buildings, focusing instead on the inferno that raged on the perimeter and the strategic half-circle of railguns and thermite-enhanced munitions that held their initial line. The smoke from the ever-growing fire in the jungle thickened and obscured parts of the ledges of the two half-spheres that composed this mothership, so he hadn't seen the movement beyond the platforms that the CCCP had held. The tone chimed again. Eight spoke over the private channel, the little voice pairing efficiency with something that could be construed as empathy, or at the very least, care in the delivery of a somber message. Sir, as you are aware, Red Savior is dead. There is a great deal of confusion as to whom is to take over. Savior left instructions with me that in this eventuality you were to... I'm aware, he murmured. Then perhaps you should hear this. There was an electronic crackle, and Red Savior's voice crackled at him over his implants. If Comrade Eight is playing this, you are hesitating. While you hesitate, some nickel-turny dog is deciding your metahumans in my CCCP are expendable. Dave, Dave, Dave! Pride grimaced at the last words, unable to escape them. Eight must have relayed a message to the ship's XO, who nodded at Pride and stepped back to let him pass through the hatch. Gauntlets pulsing a soft gold, Pride made his way to the helo deck and shrugged into one of the waiting jetpacks. He glanced out to the mothership where a bank of ash and flame hit the bloodiest of the battle. Somewhere past the ledge, past the turrets and along the edge of the alien jungle, the remaining members of Red Savior's CCCP continued to fight alongside his own Echo comrades. Uncle Benji, you need to stop thinking so hard. Jamaican Blaze's stylized voice came through the private channel. These are good people, and you need to step up now. Pride cocked his head to the side at his niece's words. Willa Jean, um... Hesitating. Miss Natalia said you would. Her people can't afford for you to think this over. They... The voice paused. A loud whoomph of flame billowed up from the half-spheres, the smoke blackening the outside of the taller buildings. They need someone to lead them, now. That's you, and you know it. The last words sounded too much like his own mother, a woman who had never hesitated in her entire life. Pride exhaled and signaled the sailor on the helopad. The young woman returned the gesture, clearing him for takeoff. Two steps, and he was in the air, keeping low along the water to avoid the barrage from the other ships and turrets. Eight, I'm going to need a dedicated channel to Savior's people. Simultaneous translation. Pride banked right to follow the suggested flight path to get him to their position. 
Replicate her last set of coordinates and her strategic overlay to me. Channel is open. Go ahead, Yankee Pride. Comrades, hold position. Your commissar has transferred command of this assault force to me, and we'd be doing her memory a disservice to not hit these bastards harder than ever. Pride rose up to fly over the lip of the half-sphere before dropping down just below the ash cloud. Queuing up the drone feeds from his HUD, he could see a trio of the sleek metal wolves racing through the streets towards the CCCP's position, obscured by smoke and buildings. Comrade Untermensch, we've got three wolf targets to your nine o'clock. Untermensch didn't hesitate. Affirmative, Commander. Adjusting defensive posture to deal with the threat. A pause. It is good to hear from you. The CCCP and Russian troops snapped into action and were ready when the wolves rounded the corner of a building, spilling out into the street. Rockets, bullets, and metahuman powers raced to meet them and made quick work of the robotic monstrosities. The alien klaxon shattered the air. The flashing blue light added to the disorientation. Red and Victoria were still weak, still recovering, but there was no time. No time! And with the control panel gone, there was nothing to abort the launch of the bomb on, whatever schedule the Masters had it set for. Enough time for them to escape, presumably, but once it left this ship, it would be too late to do anything. And there was a seductive quality to this merger. It felt right. They felt more whole, more complete than they ever had in their life. But it also felt wrong. They thought as one, though they were two, and with each passing moment they felt whatever divide remained between them fading. Soon it would be I, not we, and a part of them screamed in panic. There was so much power here, so much skill, so many valuable memories, and combined, they could do anything, anything at all. Except retain their identities. They wouldn't be themselves anymore. They'd be something else, something different, something they didn't recognize. The two voices clamoring in the background rose and became dominant over the merged voice. I am Victoria Victrix Nage, damn it! I am Timothy Red Genie Torres. Yeah, you said that before to Amethyst. Timothy? Really? <laughs> That's a horrible name. You think so? I can see why you went with Red. I... you... I... we... Self started to vanish, to muddle, to merge again. But this time they were ready for it. They rejected the power, the seduction. The only thing that made them one was the drive to become two again. We have to end this now. They fell to their knees, bodies shuddering and heaving. Then between one flash of the warning light and the next, with a cry of mingled loss and triumph, one became two, and the two fell apart, panting with exertion, and stared into each other's eyes. We can't ever do that again, they said together. Bomb! Vicky cried urgently, scrambling to her feet. Red was right behind her as she ran for the ugly thing. The weapon hummed. In the time they had been fighting Baron, it had come to life. Vicky ran her hands over it, only to realize she couldn't. Something in the casing repelled her touch. 
In the back of her mind, she was vaguely aware that she was stark naked, but in light of the fact that this thing in front of them could end the entire world, that fact seemed vanishingly unimportant. There was a field of some kind around this damn thing, something that was very nearly preventing any form of magic from penetrating it. Nearly, because she was getting a vague sense of where things were. Payload, boring mechanism, energy source for the whole shebang, but not any details. I thought the Masters didn't know anything about magic. How can they shield against something they don't even know about? She looked over and saw that Red was having the same problem. He was running his hands over the casing but couldn't touch it. It doesn't just repel magic, then, she said. You able to pick up anything? It's virtually frictionless, Red muttered dumbfounded. It's more than that, actually. It's the weirdest thing. I'm running everything I can pick up from it, and what I'm getting back is... myself. Come again? Here, he said, and pressed a hand as close to the bomb's surface as he could. I'm not touching it, I can't, so I'm trying to pick up anything I can from it, from surface temperature, texture, even light readings, and what I seem to be detecting is the palm of my own hand. Vicky stared at him. It's reflecting everything, then. How could it reflect magic if they don't know what magic is? But it's... it's reflecting everything. Of course, she breathed. Magic is energy. It follows the rules. This barrier blocks the full spectrum of energy, from kinetic to light to UV to even psychic, but it can't possibly block everything, not completely. I just need to focus past it, generate at the right frequency with the right resonance. She found just thinking about the equations involved exhausting. This is impossible, she scowled, heart racing. I'd need days to get this prepped, weeks to be sure. We've got minutes. Surely you've got some idea, Red shouted. Vicky gave him a doubtful look. There might be a way. Talk to me, Scotty. Red, this is alchemy here. Weird science and magic combined. This stuff has barely been theorized, much less experimented with. We're talking some extreme computations that I will have to do on the fly, beyond anything I've ever tried. Stupid, stupid, if I don't try, we all go boom. Right, never mind. I need a, a conduit to make a lens. Pure silica, diamond, fiber optics even. Something that's a conduit for magic. She looked frantically around the room. I need enough to make a ring around the bomb. She turned to the panels around the walls. Can you pry one of these open? There might be something in there. Do these guys use fiber optic cables or, or silica lenses or... She turned to stare at him. Or... You. Me? You're not just a medium, you're a freaking magic conductor. She lunged, grabbing him by the wrist, and pointed his arm up the bomb. I need you to make a ring of yourself as tight around that thing as you can get. He stared back at her, startled. She hopped up and smacked him on the head. Now, you tall, sexy lunkhead, do your rubber man deal and stretch. He opened his mouth to reply, thought better of it, and with a shrug reared back and let his arm go limp. With a sharp overhand cast, he threw it forward, willing the arm to grow and stretch, winding around the body of the bomb. 
Vicky watched, enthralled, as his hand snapped around to catch its own forearm. With a grunt, the genie drew his arm taut, his grip sliding up until he formed a perfect thin ring around the base of the bomb's shaft. Vicky put one hand on his shoulder and sent a tentative pulse through the ring he had created. The lensing effect was definitely there, but that thin ring of flesh wasn't robust enough to carry all the power she needed to send through it. Can you increase the mass? Slowly? She swallowed and added, Please? Because if they died here, she didn't want the last thing she said to him to have been lunkhead. You're lucky you're cute, Red grunted, and obliged her. Vicky sent another pulse of energy through him, then another, then another. It was working, or at least it seemed to be. With each tentative push, she felt the lensing effect strengthen, and what had been blurred before came into sharper focus, until... She drew in a sharp breath as she felt it. Her probing pulse of energy came to resonance and amplified in a perpetual ring of power held in place by the genie's arm. Hold it, Vicky crowed. That's perfect. Keep it right there. Eight! Yes, Vicky. Call everybody. I'm going to need everything they've got. All of it. Now. She didn't have to wait for Eight's ascent. She felt it. The full power of three circles of some of the strongest magicians on the planet. Her mother's circle, currently based in Sedona, which was the closest place Hostine Storm Dance could get to all the Native Americans he could muster for it, the school circle in Maine, and the entire monastery up in the Himalayas. And then, coming in like grace notes, individual mages all over the world, all focusing their power on her. And yet, she paused. Vix, what are you waiting for? Red asked. Remember when you yelled at me about doing something that could destroy the universe? This could, theoretically, destroy the universe. It's the thing Earth mages can do and never dare to. Transmutation. Lead to gold, not possible. Breaking down radioactive elements to lower number elements. Oh yeah, but lots of radiation. And potential critical mass anyway if I mismanage and get too much of an unstable isotope. Or worse, black hole to the nth degree end of universe type stuff. The equations are nuts and they change all the time as what I'm transmuting changes. I don't know what exactly does what inside that thing. I can see it, and I can change it, but I can't tell exactly what's payload, what's power source, and what's the special thing of me for getting it to bore its way into the magma. I get one shot at this, and I don't know the odds. Red gave her a blank look. Vicky sighed. I'm about to cross the streams, she said. Oh, Red shrugged. Why didn't you just say that? He gave her a reassuring look. For what it's worth, I believe in you. And if that isn't enough, I'm pretty sure everyone else does too. You got this. Trust me. He couldn't possibly know that, and there were a million things she could have said at this point. She settled for the most important. I love you. I've got this. Then she gathered the various energies into herself until she was ready to burst, braided them together into a coherent stream, and unleashed them. The equations streamed through her mind, and she mirrored them, muttering them under her breath so Eight had time to double-check her on the results before she committed. Eight couldn't see magic and couldn't perform magic, but there was nothing on this planet better at number crunching. 
but the strain. Her own personal energies were pouring out of her like water out of a burst dam. For once there was no little second self inside her observing and taking notes. It was all the math and directing the power, and a hundred, a thousand tiny corrections. She transmuted everything. Transuranic elements. Whatever she encountered inside a stasis field she found in the casing. Incomprehensible things. She didn't understand any of it, but she knew if she transmuted enough of it, once this nightmare was deployed, it wouldn't matter. Power sources would fizzle, real machinery would break, and most important of all, the payload would not achieve critical mass. Her eyes were closed, but the HUD was still on and glowing numbers streamed across her field of vision until her eyes watered. And this was hurting Red. She risked a glance at him. His teeth clenched as he struggled to maintain his grip on the ring. She felt his pain. As good a conductor as he was, he was channeling the combined power of every white-hat mage Vicky had access to in her Rolodex, possibly more arcane current than anything had ever channeled before. The energy. It was literally cooking him from the inside out. This is killing you, she moaned, eyes streaming with real tears now, not just watering. Keep at it, Red hissed forcing each syllable out. She closed her eyes and went back to work. There was no other choice. The last element broke down as far as she could take it. Earth elementals did this all the time. It was as natural as breathing to them. That was how Herb had kept the team alive inside of himself back in Nevada, escaping the Goldman catacombs, literally manufacturing oxygen from his own body. But humans could only break things down so far before they became too small to manage. Just as she felt everything slip out of her metaphorical hands, she felt something inside the bomb change. Things came alive. Red, let go, she shouted hoarsely, as she herself let go of him and the energies and dropped heavily to the floor. But he had released the ring as soon as she released him, and he dropped down unconscious beside her, the ring of extended and now sizzling flesh flopping down next to him as the drill on the front of the bomb came to life and it vanished into the pit, carrying its now worthless payload. She rolled over and threw her arms around him. She was no healer. She'd told him that before. But what little she knew how to, she did, with the last of her strength. We did it, Red, she whispered. We did it. She bit her lip as she watched him and realized she was trembling. His skin had turned a pale, sallow color, like that of a corpse. She had given him all she could. If only he would breathe! His lips parted, and with a gasp, Red's eyes flew open as he took in a long, deep breath. Oh, dear Lord! Vicky cried and drew him close. You have got to stop dying on me! told you, Red croaked. I told you, you had this. But how are you so sure? Red chuckled and wrapped a knuckle on his head. Little slips, threads, memories of the future they get jarred loose at the darndest of times. I think your brain is still cooked, she said with concern, putting a hand alongside his face and checking his temperature. What are you talking about? Ask me again later, he said, still chuckling. 
and held her close. Eight, Bella snapped. What in hell is going on? One of the Thulian masters, the one called Baron, has triggered a, Vicky calls it a doomsday device, Eight said, its serene voice at odds with its message. What? Bella cried. Vicky and the Red Genie are dealing with the situation. I am confident they will prevail, Eight continued. Vicky and, wait, wait, what? Bella was having trouble wrapping her mind around that. Vicky wasn't even supposed to be in the bowels of the ship. She was supposed to be guarding the kid. And Red Genie? What the hell? The Thulian masters are now fleeing, as they are all heading for a single spot, at least according to my calculations. Excuse me, I need all my processing power to help Vicky. The channel fell silent. Wait, where are the masters going? Eight? Eight! They're fleeing, Bull mused. My guess is that they're in full retreat. It stands to reason there is an escape module in this fortress. If they have initiated a doomsday protocol, they will gather there and leave as soon as they are able. Like hell they will, Bella snarled. Not until we get some answers. Not until we make sure they don't pull this crap on anyone ever again. Wherever they're heading, we need to get there. Eight? Answer me, damn it! Eight? She glanced at Bull and stopped. Are you... Bull, are you laughing? The genie, Bull said, chuckling. Red's alive. He doubled over, unable to control the laughter. And why is that funny? Bella demanded. Because, Bull said, struggling to choke out the words, because it's red. With an effort, he composed himself. He's just never where he's supposed to be. Bella stared at him for a long moment, then choked on something like a laugh. Including in how, I suppose, but doomsday device? Bull laid a reassuring hand on her shoulder. It's the genie. I have learned never to bet against him or Vicky. So what are we going to do? Go after those bastards, she snarled, instantly making up her mind. Eight! But it was Sam Colt who answered. Mr. Eight handed over field survey, ma'am. I got what he had when he handed over. Incoming to your HUD. It was an overlay of the entire double saucer. There were about a hundred dotted red lines converging on a point not that far distant from where Sam had helpfully indicated they were. A green dotted line outlined a small ovoid section. Eight reckoned that was an escape ship, or maybe the original ship the bastard started with, he added. Can you map out the most direct route? Bella asked. Uh, maybe you misheard me, ma'am, Sam said. There's about a hundred masters. I don't care if there's a thousand of them armed with automated arm cannons and flanked by scores of giant rabid wolverines, Bella yelled. They think they can come down here and unleash hell on Earth and then just leave when things don't go their way? Not on my watch. Get me there, Sam, now. Understood, Commander, Sam answered sharply as a glowing path lit up on Bella's HUD. She was off like a shot, following the twists and turns of the bizarre corridors, guided by Sam's map. 
Bull kept pace with her. She glanced at him and noted an odd smirk playing on his lips. Maybe that should be your battle cry, he said lightly. Get me there, Sam? Bull chuckled again. Even now, in the midst of her fury and her fear, Bella fought back a smile. It was nice to hear the big man laugh. Oddly enough, that wouldn't be worse than some of your previous attempts. Try again. Not on my watch, she said. It's got a nice ring to it, Bull rumbled. You're the boss here. Let them know where they stand. They ran up a set of stairs and emerged into what had been buildings and weird red vegetation. The vegetation was dying, the buildings very much the worse for the bombardment. Sam? Bella said. I've waved off artillery on your position, ma'am. Also the fighter bombers and anything else. UX? Bull began with alarm, but Bella was already sprinting and leaping across the devastated landscape before he could finish. Bees? He shrugged and caught up with her. I think I got the head honcho, ma'am, Sam said, as she tried not to think too hard about the fact that her body felt it was running on flat land while her eyes told her she was running up a slope. Got him here. He isn't moving. How do you know it's the big bad? Bella asked. His readings are a bit strange, Sam answered. He's larger, for one thing, and the others are heading to his coordinates and forming around him. I'm pinging him now on your HUD. He's your target. Bella glanced at her display. One of the red dots had turned green and was blinking. That's it, then, she said, dodging around some debris. Keep us locked on him, Sam. You got a plan? Bull asked. The big man was starting to get winded. We take him out, Bella said, ignoring the rising burn in her arms and legs. We take him, and we end this. Vicky. Vicky groaned. She was exhausted. And that didn't matter. This wasn't done yet. She couldn't rest until it was. Go eight, she replied, lifting her head from Red's chest and blinking to clear her eyes. Status report. Commanders Blue and Bulwark are converging on the remaining masters, who have massed together in what I calculate is the area of the original ship, which may still be their escape module. Sam Colt tells me they intend to confront the chief of the masters. How many of them? Vicky asked. Approximately one hundred. How many? Doesn't matter, Red groaned. Vicky turned to him confused. What doesn't matter? she asked. They're numbers, Red replied. Vicky still looked confused. Gently he tapped her ear. I can still hear eight through your piece. It doesn't matter how many there are. Besides Baron, they're frail, not a real fighter amongst them. There's only one Bella and Bull need to worry about. Problem is, I only know so much about him. Hold a sec. Eight, pick up and rebroadcast this to Bella and Bull, Vicky interrupted, and nodded for him to continue. His name is Jero, the genie said. Grand Poobah of this entire stinking mess. You won't be able to miss him. He fancies himself a god and has an ego that goes with the job. What can he do? Vicky asked.
That's the thing, Red shrugged. He orders his underlings about and never has to get his hands dirty, so all I've got is what Carolina knew, and that wasn't much. Never got around him myself. I couldn't risk it. What? Why? He's a mind reader, Vix. Strong one, too. But Carolina was careful to let him feel her fear of him. I had to stay dormant while she was awake. Couldn't risk him or her getting a whiff of me, or that might have been it. Everything I did had to be done while she slept, and only in the safety of her quarters. Just how powerful is he? Bella asked breathlessly. Can I take him? I'm not sure, Red answered. Everyone on this ship is deathly afraid of him, though. They make a point of giving him a wide berth. You're running into unknown territory, Blue. There's just no intel on him. Trust me, I've looked. There was a long, long pause. And if we let him go, they'll be back. And ready for us. Not an option, Red. This is one message that has to be sent. Listen to me, you stubborn, overgrown smurf, Red hissed. You don't know what he's capable of. At least wait for backup. Well, at least we know it's the real genie, they heard Bulwark mutter. Missed you too, big guy, Red chuckled. There's no time for backup, Bella barked. They're in full retreat. If that thing is a getaway ship, Bull and I might be our only shot at ending this. The floor shuddered and bucked for a moment as if the ship was suffering an earthquake. Metal groaned and something in the distance broke with an explosive crack. Vicky's hands clenched reflexively. She knew what was going on. She felt it. The ship was dying. Bella, look around, Vicky exclaimed. This whole structure is coming apart. They're beat. We might have even crippled them. We've won. You don't know what he can do. It's time to book. Forget it, Bella answered. They are not getting away. Not while there's a chance in how they might come back. Don't you guys get it? This is it. We've got one shot here, one shot to make it clear, not to just them, but to anyone else out there, that coming after Earth is going to cost them more than they can imagine. One shot to make sure this never happens to this planet again. Th this isn't for revenge. It's for protection. Vicky swore under her breath in four languages. She's right, she said. We've got to end this, Red. This has to stop. Red stood up, pulling Vicky with him. She started to protest, because while she was exhausted, he'd nearly been cooked alive by all the magic coursing through him, but he seemed fine now. He looked down at Vicky and nodded. Godspeed, you two, he said. Do what you have to. Then get the hell out of there. We will, Bulwark replied. That goes for you, too. Get off this stinking mess ASAP. That's an order. What he said. I can't do my job and worry about you two. Get. Vicky tried to get to her feet and fell over and swore. Tried again. Managed to stand erect. Staggered two paces in the direction of Bella and Bull and fell again. We can't leave them, she panted. You're stealing my shtick, the genie said, gently picking her up in his arms. Disobeying orders is my job, and I don't think we're in any position to, not this time. You can barely walk. I need to get you off this boat. No, Vicky replied, 
trying unsuccessfully to squirm away. Bella's rushing into the lion's den. There has to be some way we can help her. I'm not leaving until we're all able to get off. I've told you I love you, right? Vicky sighed and gave Red a wary look. Yeah, you have. And? Just checking. It's important you know that so that you'll understand the full weight of what I'm about to say. He cleared his throat and shouted at her. Get your head out of your ass, woman. We need to book. She stared fearlessly into his eyes, kissed him lightly, and managed some sort of twisting move that ended with her back on the floor. If it was just us, I'd agree with that. But it's not, and you know better. Once again, she staggered to her feet, but this time she wobbled over to where her armor was lying in a puddle and pulled something out of the pile. A belt. Like a utility belt, full of pockets. She strapped it on over her bare hips. We're here and we're still breathing, so we can help. I'm not leaving my best friends to go up against another alien god wannabe just so I can exit stage right. With a look of determination, Vicky took a deep breath and began to march. With the first step, she wobbled and fell into Red's waiting arms. Fine, she seethed. You can carry me. Just get me closer to them. Bella coughed, waved her hand to clear the smoke from burning alien world ship out of her eyes, and peered through more smoke to the edge of the bowl, which, from where she stood, was up a slope, with what she was looking at looming over her as if it was about to fall on her. Twice they had almost been intercepted by groups of Thulians, when another group of Thulians had appeared out of nowhere, cut down their own kind, and kept going. It looked as if their reprogramming had worked. That isn't going to stop all that mass from falling on our heads if the artificial gravity suddenly fails. I'm insane to be here. The ship looked like a multi-story version of one of those futuristic California cliffside saucer-shaped homes that used to be all over L.A. until mudslides made it abundantly clear that building your house halfway out of a cliff was a generally bad idea. There was a tube leading from the bottom to the ground, and what looked like beads moving up the tube. Except they weren't beads— they were Thulian masters. There were more of them clustered around the bottom of the tube, and in the front was one who stood out from all the others. He was very shiny. The others all wore armor, or spacesuits, or space armor, or something. His version was bigger, adorned with multicolored metals that appeared gaudy in their brilliance. His unarmored head stuck out of the shoulders of the suit, looking absurdly tiny, as if his orange head was the size of a golf ball. Bella had a good idea who this was. Eight, Bella snapped. I believe the one in the front must be the commander, Jero. Eight confirmed. Then that's who we want. Bella grabbed Bulwark's hand and squeezed it briefly. We're going in. She glanced over at Bulwark. I don't suppose you have any strategy for getting me in touching distance of this guy. Only the usual. Bull admitted, frowning. I don't like this. We know nothing about him. Increased movement caught her eye. Eight, give me a magnified view, she ordered. Eight must have maneuvered one of the spy eyes in. A moment later, her HUD showed her the milling crowd behind Jero. I don't think we have anything to worry about from the mob, she said. Look at them. 
They're terrified. They can't get into that elevator fast enough. And indeed, now the Thulian masters were shoving and kicking each other in a panic, trying to get into the escape ship. She turned her attention to Jarrow. Close up, he looked even more absurd, as if a baby had donned Silent Knight's mecha suit. If his head was anything to go on, he was frail, delicate, which might be why he wore that suit in the first place. As she studied him, she suddenly realized those strange orange eyes were staring at her. What the... She got a cold feeling all over, as she realized that there was something probing her psionic shields. The glare from those orange eyes intensified, and then her shields rang with the most intense psychic blow she had ever felt in her life. She staggered, then brought her head back up, glaring right back at him. Confirmed, Bull, she said flatly. He's a psychic. You don't say, Bulwark said. Not just the words, but the way he said it, flat and uninflected, sent all her internal alarm bells going. She whirled to face him, just in time to see his fist coming straight for her chin. She ducked to the side, avoiding getting pasted, but he hit her shoulder with a bone-bruising blow, knocking her to the ground. She scrambled backwards to her feet. The despair in Bull's eyes told her everything she needed to know. Jarrow was in control. Shit, this is so not good. Could she drive Jarrow out of Bull if she got in physical contact with him? As she skipped and evaded, using everything Jeannie had taught her of parkour and everything she'd learned from the Echo martial arts instructors, she had the distinct feeling that would be a bad idea. Gardner, she hissed, using his name as a way to try to help him focus. You can fight this. You're the most stubborn man I know. Don't let him do this. Bella recoiled as, for the second time that day, Bulwark began to laugh. Only this sounded tortured. Then he grinned, a horrible, manic grin. Gardner doesn't live here anymore, he rasped. This one is your lover. His thoughts stink of you. I can see how these hands have touched you. With trembling anticipation, with wanton lust, they have given you pleasure, little, little blue girl. Did you ever think that one day they might crush the very life from your fragile body? For God's sake, Bull! Bella screamed. Are you going to let him spout that repulsive crap from your own lips? His will is strong for a human, but really. Bull's smile grew, if possible, even wider. Soon he'll be with us. If it's any consolation to you, I find his thoughts rather interesting, perhaps even worth keeping. He might just live through this, maybe even forever. Would you like that, blue girl? Would that please you? If Jero was hoping to distract her with a war of words, he didn't get his wish. He's lived decades with everyone afraid of him, everyone terrified he's going to get into their heads. To hell with that. He's not getting bull. So instead of backing away and cowering, she grabbed Bull's biceps. Fight me, she snarled, throwing her mind against Jero's. You don't get him. 
Behind her own heavy shields, however, this was a feint. This was an Aikido move. Jero probably only understood force against force. If she could get him to mentally bullrush her, she might be able to flip and use his own power and hers to boot him out of Bull's head. She steeled herself for the attack, ready to dodge and redirect the force of Jero's mind. It should have worked, if she had not completely underestimated the sheer power the alien master had at his disposal. It hit her like a tsunami, a wave of hate and malice that simply washed over her. A directed strike, like a pile driver, she might have handled, her own considerable talents able to guide and shape the emotion back at him. But there was too much raw psychic energy to manipulate, too much to redirect. It slammed into her, almost shattered her defenses, and Bella was forced to let Bull go as she staggered back. For a moment, her thoughts were a confused muddle, and fear chilled her to the bone, paralyzing her. She gasped for air and staggered back a few more steps, pulling herself together. Glancing up, she saw Bulwark striding towards her, his muscles relaxed, casual, as if he were merely taking a peaceful moonlit stroll, though his face still looked stricken. It made the words that spilled forth from between his clenched teeth all the more chilling. You are simply adorable, blue girl, Jero rasped. Such fire, such determination. It has been most entertaining. But every good show must come to an end. It is time for the... How do you earth vermin say it? Oh, yes. It is time for the obese female to vocalize melodically. Do not fret, I will make your death a swift one. Payment, if you like, for such a fine performance. Bull glanced over at the other masters, who were still rushing into their escape ship in a mad frenzy. Well, that, and the fact that I must attend to my pathetic flock. I really must harden them up before our next harvesting cycle. Baron is more than sufficient to deal with any confrontation, but really, it almost shames me to say our kind has grown rather complacent over the past millennium. You're counting on Baron? Bella put on a smirk. Too bad Baron's dead. Oh, and your super-secret special surprise package has been deactivated, too. Maybe you should have followed your pathetic flock while you had the chance. If I can get him to run... I'll get the chance to call in an all-out airstrike. Sure, she and Bull might be in the blast radius too, but there would probably be just enough time to sprint out of the kill zone as long as they could count on Bull's shields to take on shrapnel and explosive debris. If she could count on Bull. She wavered as the emotions played out on Bull's face. Moments before, he had seemed anguished, betraying the inner conflict between the big man and Jero for control. Now... There seemed nothing left of Bulwark. There was still anguish, but a different sort. He seemed shocked, and behind those clear blue eyes she saw a rage building as he charged towards her, screaming in fury. So much for Jero rabbiting, she thought. I think I just made him really mad. I think I just made it that much easier for him to control Bull. I think I'm in real trouble here. She scrambled backwards up a hill of debris, and her hand brushed the grip of her nine mil, its clip loaded with the Echo Special Incendiary and Explosive Charges. In his fury, Jero wasn't bothering with any of Bull's meta-talents. 
Even without his shields, if Bull was able to get his hands on her, he could probably tear her apart. Of course, without Bull's shields, all it would take was a solid shot to his temple to end the threat. She pulled out the gun, dodging out of the way of Bull's charge, and continued to dance around him as she fought another internal struggle. Her hand shook each time she leveled the gun at Bull's head. I have to do this. And each time she hesitated and continued to dodge the big man's clumsy attempts to grab her. I can't. I can't. It's... it's bulwark. It was the uneven terrain that betrayed her, and Bella yelped as she tripped and fell with a crash to the ground. Instinctively, she rolled onto her back and aimed her gun high, and found Bull dead in her sights as he leapt down on her, his arms raised back to deliver a crushing blow. It was a split-second decision. Shoot him between the eyes and the threat. Take the fight to Jero and finish this. Or don't. And die knowing that once Jero and his masters got away, they were still going to be a menace to Earth forever. Or at least as long as the Earth lasted. There was really no choice at all. Oh God, I'm sorry, she whispered and pulled the trigger. The bullet skimmed past Bulwark's head, cutting a bloody line across his scalp. Damn it, she screamed and aimed again, half blinded with tears. With a triumphant shout, Bulwark knocked the gun from her hands with a heavy fist and reared back to deliver a final blow. Bella froze, staring him in the eyes. For a moment, time stood still, and the clear blue of his eyes softened as he gazed back at her. His hands fell to his sides as a weak grin lit up his face. Bull? Bull nodded and laid a trembling hand on her cheek. How? He tried to force me to kill you, Bull croaked. To kill my love. Now that's insane. Then, for one terrifying moment, Bull's face changed again, the eyes narrowing, the mouth twisting into a snarl. Fine, he spat. Then his eyes went blank, and he collapsed on top of her. Only the fact that they were on a pile of shifting debris kept him from flattening and smothering her. With an adrenaline-fueled shove, she rolled Bull's body off and downhill a little, and paused just long enough to touch his face before leaping to her feet. If she'd been angry before, it was nothing compared to this. I've got to take that bastard out. He's so strong. Can I even do this? She glanced down at Bull. His still body lay sprawled on the ground, only the rise and fall of his chest showing he was still alive, and felt her resolve harden. She picked up her gun and raced towards the escape ship, towards the remaining masters, and towards Chero. Red had made Vicky stop long enough to get her armor back on. He had probably been hoping it would take her a lot longer than it did. At this point in her life, she could wiggle into it in under 60 seconds. The boots took a little longer, but not much. Unfortunately, things were unfolding on Bella's side of the ship a lot faster than she'd thought they would. Even with Red impatiently scooping her up and carrying her like a football, there was no way they would reach her in time. Red must have come to the same conclusion at the same time. He suddenly skidded to a halt as soon as they hit the surface and put her down. What can we do from here? 
he grated. What can you do? Can you open up the ground underneath him? It's not ground, she panted, trying to hold off desperation so she could think. Can't do earth magic on what's not earth. She closed her eyes. Bella's drained. I wish I could send her juice the way Sarah could. She might be able to face him head on if I could just give her more psi power. How the hell can I... Damn it. If Bella had magic and not psi, I could boost her. Or if Sarah was here, she could, and... And magic works like psi, sorta, he reminded her. You said that back in the vault. Remember? It hit her. Maybe. And I think I've got something. The belt full of storage crystals was mostly still full. This was going to depend on playing fast and loose with the laws of similarity and contagion, but it was all she had left. Eight, get ready for some more number crunching. She was barely aware of Red supporting her as she ran through equations, made corrections based on Eight's input, and formulated a... result of sorts. It wasn't anywhere near as elegant as Eight, or Overwatch, or anything else that she'd done with advanced mathematic. It was crude. It depended on some of the oldest, most primitive magical laws on Earth. And on an unquantifiable X. Love. Red... Bull and, yes, Vicky loved and were loved by Bella. She was important to them. They were important to her. Messy, crazy, insane love. Vicky was going to link them all and pour their combined strength into her friend, plus whatever was left in the storage crystals. Or at least that was what she hoped she was about to do. Here goes nothing, she muttered, and fired off the equation. Link us all and back her up. Face me, you miserable worm! Bella screamed and projected that across the fifty yards or so that separated her and Jero. As he slowly turned, she kept running, narrowing the distance between them. And when she got to about fifty feet, it suddenly felt as if she had run into a wall of jello. He can't get into my head to control me, she realized as she continued to struggle forward, leaning into the slow-motion run as if she was running against a hurricane wind. Mental shields makes my mind too slippery, but he's still putting up a hell of a fight. It's all I can do to keep moving forward. There was some sort of expression on Jero's face. She couldn't read it, and she wasn't about to drop her shields to read him empathically, but she thought it was a smirk. She'd narrowed the gap between them to twenty feet, though, and she was still inching forward. Memory supplied exactly what she needed, as she remembered Sarah touching her shoulder when she first healed John, and supplying her with so much power it was like trying to drink from a fire hose. Maybe there was still some tenuous connection to the infinite there. Dig down deep. She pulled further on her own reserves, got a little more, narrowed the gap again to ten feet, and there, she was stopped, just out of reach, and the battle to reach him married with a battle against despair. His eyes flashed. With triumph? Not even rage could supply what she needed. And then, suddenly, out of nowhere, power flooded into her. For a moment, she thought she heard a near-infinite chorus of voices in her head. 
now it was her turn to feel a swell of triumph and incredulous joy as she lunged forward and grabbed what passed for his arms. The belt around Vicky's waist lit up like the crystals inside it were on fire as they discharged all their stored magic power at once. Shit. This was... big. This was bigger than she'd thought. This was... bloody hell. Then she was lost in a chorus of wordless voices. Dozens. Hundreds. Thousands. She had based her calculations on only a handful of people, herself, Red and Bull, and loosely on the extent of their love for Bella. How did one quantitate love anyway? It made for some fairly exotic, even vague algorithms, to say the least. It had been a long shot, as these things always were, and she had known there were bound to be some unforeseen side effects. She could feel so many of them. How was this possible? Had she somehow crossed time and space, found alternate versions of themselves to boost Bella's reserves? Sure, let's start with the least likely explanation. But what else could they be? Were these echoes, then, an odd reverberation of their collective thoughts amplified to a roaring din? They certainly made it hard to think. The only constant was a vast feeling of love. There was so much of it. The thought struck her again. How did one quantitate love? She had gathered them up by proximity and... Vicky paused, stunned. She had gathered them all. A part of everyone who loved or was loved by Bella. Everyone who was important to her. Everyone she was important to. Everyone. It was... It was like the little tiny bit of Sarah's Song of the Infinite she had once experienced... It was the song of Echo, like being the center of a universe of voices. For a brief moment, she even thought she felt the echo of John and Sarah. And one of the presences was just a little annoyed. Oh, for the love of... Red? she said in response. How is this possible? He formed up next to her, out of nothing. And he looked not like the thing he'd been since she'd found him alive again, but like the old Red. He was there, if a bit hazy, blurring out of reality at times, but there. He moved with his usual grace, but with an odd ebb that quickened and slowed with the pace of breathing. On the level of instinct, not of math, she understood that time was on hold for a moment. No, not on hold, that's impossible— "'slowed to a bare fraction of normal time, but that's not possible either. "'You don't mess with time. But if time hasn't changed—' "'A mindscape,' Red snarled. "'Another goddamn mindscape.' "'He paused, looking around. "'This one's really big, though.' "'Time didn't slow down,' she murmured, understanding. "'We've sped up.' We're moving at the speed of thought, in a place bursting with psychic power. Holy freaking balls, what the hell? I didn't... I just thought I was gonna boost Bell the way Sarah could, using you and me and Bull, and... I think I phrased it mathematically as everyone who's important, and... Everyone is important. Still, this shouldn't be possible. I don't have this kind of juice. What did you do, Egon? Red asked. Seriously. Forget what you intended. Cross your eyes, wiggle your nose, and look at the math. 
You see, magic is math, right? So instead of trying to think what you might have done, look at what's actually there. What did you do? I... She looked around her with the inner eye. The equations didn't lie. Bella was tethered by love and something not unlike devotion to everyone in Echo and a lot of people beyond. Her best guess? Everyone who fulfilled those parameters within a ten-mile radius, Vicky had somehow linked them all. And the moment Bella touched Jero, that linked them all and had pulled Vicky and Red at least into this mindscape. With her. And the moment she realized that, she also felt it, as if she was the only one holding the thousands of strings controlling one of those gigantic competition kites. The tension centered in her chest was almost unbearable. To hell with that. I will hold it because I have to. This is a mindscape, and it would have to belong to someone with a lot of psychic power to house this much square footage, so to speak, Vicky said aloud. I must have linked most of Echo and brought you and me in here, and to some extent them, to back up Bella. Would this be Jero? It would, said a female voice. Vicky and Red turned and watched another pair of figures coalesce into view. It was Bella, her hands around Jero's throat, his around hers. In this mindscape, she looked frail, and Jero was a monster. And let's do what we're here for. Vicky sensed somewhere her jaw was clenching, and she poured everything, everything, into her friend. Around her, outside this mindscape, but linked through her, she felt the chorus of voices join her in triumph. It burst forth like a song, fierce and pure, and at the center of it all, Bella's tired form straightened up, awash in power. Jero, for his part, was oblivious to what was going on. His hands gripped Bella's throat in malicious glee, and he began to gloat, ignorant of her sudden surge of strength. Now is the moment in all your dramas when the antagonist utters a soliloquy, he smirked. You mean the villain monologues, Bella snarled. Fine, monologue away, you bastard. Jero laughed. You are my creation. All of you. We are the reason you metahumans exist in the first place. We set loose the transmutation nanovirus when we first arrived, just as we do on every planet we choose to manipulate. We gave you power. You should be thanking us. Why? Bella cried. What in hell do you get out of this? Jero smirked. Entertainment, little blue girl. Endless hours of entertainment. You are a particularly creative race, and we've certainly enjoyed your extensive works of fiction. But nothing quite captures the thrill of watching you fight and struggle against each other in real unscripted time, never knowing that it's all doomed in the end, that when you cease to amuse, we'll wipe you out and start anew elsewhere among the stars. Suddenly he frowned. Except you have the uncanny ability to contaminate even our own loyal troops. We should never have given shelter to those damned Nazis. His voice rose in a loud, petulant whine. 
They managed to infect our underlings with their creed, until we found those who should have been mere slaves were taking matters into their own hands, with their mad desire to conquer you. They intended to make you into a world of slaves to support their conquest of the galaxy and the spread of their... I suppose you'd have to call it religion of the Fourth Reich. We chastised them and punished them for acting without orders, and as soon as I took my attention off them, they'd attack you again. Yours was to be our masterpiece. The heights you would have reached... So close. If it hadn't been for them, we would have forged the grand epic to end all others. And now it's all spoiled and we'll have to start over. The last was uttered in a petulant shout, which fell to a pathetic squeak as Bella tightened her grip. Jero's eyes widened as he cried out in pain, his hands retreating, struggling in vain to pry Bella's grip from his throat. What? Jero gasped. Oh. That can't be all of it, Bella snarled. That's not all you were doing. Spit it out, you fractard. She shook him, hard enough to have made his teeth rattle, if he'd had teeth, if this had been reality and not a projection in the mindscape. Cough it up. Insignificant human, Jero wheezed. You cannot hope to. But I can, Bella said, and with a shocking display of strength lifted Jero above her by the throat and slammed him down on his back. The impact echoed like a volcanic explosion all through the mindscape. Whatever you think is happening right now, you might want to take another look around here. Go on, take a second. Look. Jero shuddered and became very still. He drew in a sharp breath, his head feathers quivering as he became aware of the song, as he began to look around him. Vicky glared back at him and felt a multitude of eyes through her doing the same. You have our attention, Bella said through gritted teeth. So talk. Now. We... Jero took another breath and winced. Vicky watched in wonder as a myriad of emotions played across his sharp features. There was confusion, shocked realization, disbelief, and finally fear. Vicky suspected these were new to him, or at the very least, long forgotten. She almost felt sorry for him. Almost. Talk! Bella shouted and Jero screamed as she brought her power down on his mind like a hammer. He shuddered, his cries falling to pathetic whimpers, and nodded in surrender. We take what we need, Jero began, stuttering as he struggled to control his fear. Sometime in the past, we, we lost something, something vital to our progression. In our lust for power, for knowledge, we, we became reckless, we changed... We extended our lifespans greatly, but at a heavy cost. Most of us grew frail physically. We could no longer conceive children nor invent new technology. Creativity in all its forms was lost to us. We had to resort to novel means. Novel means. Vicky heard Bull's voice echo from around them. 
experimentation, Jero gasped. On you, on the others before you, only when we are sure, when our gathered collective is sure, will we dare risk exposing ourselves to the procedures. I take it you've been largely unsuccessful, Vicky heard Ramona snarl, another faceless voice, powerful and everywhere. Jero nodded frantically. Our earliest attempts killed many of us. Only Baron and I were improved, albeit greatly, but the rest felt a horrific mutations and died horribly. Without children, our numbers began to dwindle. We could not risk losing any more. Monstrous. Normally the voice of calm restraint and reason, the outrage in Unter's cry seemed all the more terrible as it rang endlessly throughout the mindscape. You cross the boundaries of decency, of nature itself. You chose to become a parasite on all existence. You should have died out. I suppose you would have chosen the noble path, Jero muttered. I would have, yes. Hunter's voice trailed off in disgust. There is a time to let go your claw clutch on life. You did not learn the lesson of Titanos. So I have you to thank for the fact that I am not still a starving beggar in Mumbai. Kanjar's voice boomed. And I also have you to thank for the death of three of my friends, whose mutations ended their lives in painful ways. I wonder how karma judges that. Jero cowered, unable to answer. What is this collective you speak of? Yankee Pride demanded. The collective is a host of intellects, Jero said. The best and brightest of all that we have enslaved. With each new mind, the collective has grown stronger, has brought to fruition many technological advances, and with each step bringing us closer to... to... Immortality. Red muttered. Yes, Jero sighed. We have prolonged our lives, but we are not immortal. With humanity, we thought we had finally found our event horizon. So many possibilities. Your minds would have surely tipped the scales. Even with the loss of Tesla and Marconi, surely Vertigree and Victrix would have sufficed. And if they didn't... Jero glared at Red and grimaced. One of you offered another option. She promised us another way, a new test subject who she promised would be immortal. Herself, after she was done with you, the Red Genie. Jero closed his eyes and shuddered. So many options, so many possibilities. We came so close after so long... You're saying I'm immortal? Red asked. Only experimentation can answer that, Jero said. You very well may be. Doppelganger's reasoning was quite sound. But only the collective could know for certain, after a full series of tests and a barrage of torturous experiments. Been there, Red scowled. Done that. Moot point, anyway, another voice said. Vicky looked around, surprised. 
Harris? Yeah. It's me, Scope answered, the dead yet amplified tone of her voice sounding odd as it reverberated through the mindscape. The collective's gone. We took care of it. Gone? Jero asked, his voice now breaking. Yep, Scope said. That giant room of boxed brains went bluey. If you mean the place that looked like the lost luggage section of Robots R Us surrounding that really big ball of light, we shut it down. Impossible, Jero exclaimed. Destroying the collective is beyond you. It is even beyond us. You could not have. But we did, Scope interrupted. It actually wasn't that hard, you know, once they showed us how. Once. Who showed you? Jero demanded. Them, Scope said. The Collective? Didn't I mention? They wanted to die just like your big ship wanted to die, but couldn't do themselves in. So they showed us. Hey, Vix, this gonna take long? Kanjar and I have this thing we gotta do, remember? I don't know, Vicky managed when Jero interrupted her. We deserve immortality, he bleated. We want to live forever. Wouldn't you? Don't you? No, Bella said flatly. Not all of us, anyway. Better, yes, but not forever. When you can live forever, you start getting timid. You're afraid to try anything that might risk that immortality. Like Tesla and Marconi. They're scared witless every time they think they might die. She smirked when Jero gasped. Oh, that's right. They're still alive. I guess you didn't know that. She glared at him. And even after all this, if I let you go, if I let you run away with your toadies, you still won't stop, will you? You'll just keep coming back here. You'll enslave someone else to do your dirty work and you'll come back for revenge. Won't you? Won't you? Jero shrank away from her but didn't answer. Answer me! Bella screamed and brought the full force of her will down upon him. Jero screamed, writhing in her grasp, and nodded fearfully. Yes, he croaked finally. Yes, I would. I, I would find a way. Bella put one metaphorical foot on Jero's chest. I'm not going to kill you, Jero, she said, her voice flat. That would be too merciful. I'm going to make an example out of you. I'm going to lobotomize you, and then I am going to tell all your flunkies to get the hell off my world and take you with them, and if they come back, they can expect to be given the same treatment. She glared down at him. And I hope they seal you in a room and let you rot. Vicky had been pouring the collected power of the gestalt into Bella and had watched her temper building as Jero cowered. The idea that all they had ever been was a reality show for the masters was infuriating. That they had been lab rats was doubly, triply infuriating. And to hear from Jero's own mouth that Bella had been right, that the masters would never stop, never give up trying to get the revenge. And that, in the end was what sent Bella over the top. You don't kill my world, Bella snarled. Not on my watch. 
and around them, every voice, every being echoed the battle cry. Bella struck. And Red saw the danger to Vicky before even Vicky did. Vix, the mindscape is coming down. If the connection snaps back on you, you'll... Let them go! Oh God, he's right! In a blaze of fear, she severed the connection that held them all together, and the world went white with pain. Vicky snapped back to herself as a tremor shook what was left of the dying ship, knocking her on her ass. Her head hurt worse than she ever remembered it hurting before. It felt bruised inside, deep purple bone bruises, and there was just barely enough energy left in her to be able to breathe. Buzz, boy, she groaned, and looked up at Red, who looked as disgustingly healthy and healed and full of energy as she felt battered and exhausted. If I didn't love you, I'd hate you right now. Less talking, more booking. He lifted her to her feet, then kept right on lifting until he had her in his arms. Last call for the Titanic lifeboats. She was too tired to object to being carried. Roger that, she sighed, putting her head against his chest. Eight, plot us a course out of here. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.